in the book of Numbers, the book of Wanderings. And if you would rest your eyes on verse 20, I have some great large print. Yeah. Amen. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word, but truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Because all of these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness have put me to the test now these ten times, say ten times, and have not heeded my voice, they certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers, nor any of those who rejected me see it. Father, we thank you and we bless you. We worship you in this place. We are humbled that you have allowed us to enter into your courts with thanksgiving. Father, we thank you that everyone who opened up the door that you have now entered in. And we are in a place of communion, holy communion, with the God of the universe. And now, oh God, we say, take and make us. Shape us, oh God. Trouble us where we need to be troubled. Push us beyond where we are comfortable, oh God. Take us to places in you that cause us to be deeper, deeper in our relationship with the God who loved us so much that you gave the best in your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you and we praise you. And the church said amen. Amen, 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 amen. amen. How you doing, Rahab? Where, where, where's Abigail? She's not home. Oh, you're not home watching the football game? Amen. Amen, amen. Ruth was here yesterday. Thank you. What a wonderful time. Hannah, great, great time in the Lord. And Esther, for such a time as this. My first car was a 1967 Chevrolet Impala four-door. It was gifted to me in 1973, begrudgingly, I think, by my stepfather. Although the car had a little age on it, he kept that car pristine. It was immaculately clean, and it ran as if he had just taken it off of the short store room floor, the showroom floor. When I received the car, it was paid off. He didn't even make me pay the car insurance. Now, while it was a blessing to own my own car, what I lacked, I needed most. Nobody told me how to keep the car up, how to maintain the vehicle. As far as I knew, all I needed to do was put gas in the tank. As long as the car had gas and the radio was working, I was cool. Let's go, show on. But then over time, I started to notice wherever I parked, black liquid. And it wasn't 
gold. It wasn't oil. Well, actually, it turned out it was oil. Somebody told me, what's dripping from your car is oil. I said, OK. Gosh, hope that's not bad. <laughs> One drip at a time, drip, drip, drip. Wherever I went, I left oil stains. So you knew where I was. The DNA of my car was left wherever I parked. Now, sometimes when the gas was scarce or the money was scarce and I couldn't put gas in the car, I would lend my vehicle to my cousin, uh, Gary, and uh, I knew that he would use the car all day, but when, it, when I got it back, it would have a full tank of gas, and then I could get on the road again and put the radio back on my favorite station, and everything was good. But one day, he was driving from Philadelphia to Great Adventures in uh, New Jersey, this is how he told me the story. He said, um, there was a, um, he noticed that the engine light, check engine light, kept flashing. It just, he didn't understand why it just kept flashing, the check engine light, check engine light. And it was like this red light that would appear every time um, the light flashed. He just kept on driving. He's trying to get the great adventure. Then all of a sudden, a big puff of smoke <laughs> came out of the tailpipe, and the car just stopped right in the middle of the highway and coasted. He coasted to the side of the road, praise the Lord. But what occurred, because of the check engine light being ignored, is that the engine Seized. I'm an expert now. <laughs> For those of you who don't know what causes an engine to seize, it is caused by insufficient oil. All that drip, drip, drip gave me more than enough warning that if I didn't do something about that drip, 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 that was staining everything that I parked on, that eventually that car that got me wherever I wanted to go was going to end up, as it did ultimately, in the junk heap. So now I was using my previous mode of transportation called two legs and public transportation. Our words are like leaking oil. Negative, angry, faithless, and thoughtless words leave lasting and sometimes permanent oil stains on people's lives. Once you've said something, you can't retrieve it. It's, it's there. And uh, somebody's trying to keep up with the game on the radio or something as I'm preaching, but that's all right. Uh, somebody can turn their phone off. Amen? How many of you know that every word has a meaning and purpose? 
until we stop saying the wrong things to ourselves and others, we will remain broken. Some people think that it's okay to say whatever's on our mind, but there's great danger in saying what's, whatever comes to our mind. It's like dripping oil. Amen? Got a little interference today. Praise the Lord. I must have something good to say from the word. Stick with me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this privilege of sharing your word. And we thank you, O oh God, that you are at work even now. And we know that you will say all that needs to be said in such a way that we will hear a word from heaven. That is our heart's desire. In Jesus' name, amen. How about we just turn it off? We have someone on our wave. That's, and we have interference. Testing. Good? Okay. Amen. It's settled. In Numbers chapter 14, verses 20 through 23, God told Moses that he was tired of the drip, drip, drip from the nation of Israel. Listen to what the word of God says. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned them according to your word. Moses, you prayed. You've interceded. I wanted to wipe out the entire nation. I was going to replace them, give you an entire new group of people that you would lead. And then Moses went before the Lord and said, Lord, if you slay them, then you would be in violation of your word. And then what would the nation say? And so I pardoned them according to your petition and intercession, Moses. But surely as I live, and all the earth shall be filled with my glory, None of these men who have seen my glory, the signs that I perform, none of them will see the promised land. Listen at this part. Yet have put me to the test ten times. Drip, 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 drip. You put me to the test ten times. And now divine judgment will be meted out. I want to talk about what was the recurring drip that displeased God and brought him to the point where God actually says, enough, enough. He said, you put me to the test 10 times. The people of God had tested him 10 times en route to the promised land, led out of Egypt, led out of bondage, 
pray for 400 years. God answers their prayers. He raises up a deliverer named Moses. Moses go back, goes back to Egypt, tells Pharaoh to let the people of God go. And God obey, God, God releases his power. God releases his miraculous power through the 10 plagues that befall the nation of Egypt, the most powerful nation in the world at this time. And so what God does through the miracles, God is not just showing off. He's not just having a 4th of July fireworks display. When God brings about a miracle, it's about his glory to display to his people that not only am I present, not only do I have power, but I am here I am here for you, therefore you can trust me. The purpose of the miracles is to demonstrate without any shadow of a doubt that God is who he claims to be and that through the miraculous works that we can trust him. We can trust him. And God will do for any of us whatever it takes to deliver us out of our Egyptian bondage. Whatever you are bound, you're bound by, the Lord, the Lord will intervene. We can trust him to do that. Now, the persistent drip revealed that they did not, in spite of the miracles, in spite of how many times the Lord has delivered us from our Egyptian bondage, the things that we've struggled with, the things that we said, Lord, if you get me out of this one, I'll never do it again. We still, when we're faced with today's challenges, we don't trust him. And I want to share with you at least 10 times, and we're not going to go into detail, I just want to show you how you can be right in the midst of all that God is doing and still not trust God. You can have food under your arms and food between your teeth and still be worried about how you're going to eat tomorrow. So in Exodus chapter 14, we find the first incident in verses 10 through 12, when the people are traveling from, the, from Egypt and they're making their way to the promised land, they're faced with the Red Sea, and lo and behold, behind them is Pharaoh and his army. And the people, they don't say, well, God has delivered us in the past. He, in fact, killed the, first, the last plague of the, uh, that God brought upon the nation of uh, the Egyptians was the killing of the firstborn. Beyond a shadow of doubt that God has power to do whatever it takes. And so now they face the Red Sea. Pharaoh's army is behind them. And then the people turn to Moses and say, why have you brought us out here to die? We told you to leave us alone. And if you just left us in Egypt, it was better when we were unsafe. It was better when we were in bondage. Drip, drip, drip. God opens up the Red Sea. You know the story. He parts it. They walk through the dry land. They get on the other side. They start singing the hallelujah. They start celebrating and praising God. I'm sure there was some holy dance. Miriam came up with a song, and everybody was singing. They were talking about how God brought them over. How I don't have to look back and wonder how I got over. God did it. And they celebrated the goodness of God until they came to Exodus chapter 15, verses 22 through 24 at Marah. They were thirsty in a desert place. And Mara means bitter. And so when they prepared to drink the water, they discovered that it was bitter. And then they began to complain to Moses. Why would you bring us to a place where the water is bitter, Moses? Drip, drip, drip. And so the Lord told Moses to take, cut a tree down. The tree uh, fell into the water, and God used the tree to cause the water to lose its bitterness. And he blessed the people, and he 
let them drink the water, and now they're fine, and they're praising the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. God is good. Home time. Isn't he good? And now we get to, Gen- to Exodus chapter 16, verses 1 through 3. In the desert of Zin, as they are, they're hungry now, and, and they start to say, oh, that we had died in the land of the Lord, in, uh, the land of the Lord in Egypt, that we sat by the pots of meat, and when we ate bread and to our full, and it was just so great when we were in slavery, so great when we had to make the bricks without straw. Now you got us out here starving, Moses. Drip, drip, drip. God provided them manna from heaven, and they were happy that day. How quick we forget. Later in the same chapter, in Exodus chapter 16, a fourth test, uh, verses 19 through 20 in the desert of Zin, uh, as, they, as, as they paid no attention to Moses, God said, I will provide you with manna, but the bread that I give you, the food that I give you, it is for one day. I will provide you, I promise you, your daily bread. Do not allow any food to be left over. They totally ignored the word of God. And then the next day, the food that they kept turned into maggots. And then a plague broke out. And so they disregarded the word of God. Their daily bread was provided, but they tried to keep some extra. In Exodus 16, verses 27 through 30, again in the desert, God said that you can work on six days, but on the seventh day you should rest. Some folks say, I'm just in case Monday God don't show through for us, in case he doesn't provide. You know, God might have a little Alzheimer's or dementia, so I'm going to work on the Sabbath, and we'll have extra for Monday when others. So they went out looking for manna on the Sabbath, and the Lord was angry because they didn't obey to take that one day to set aside total worship and focus on God. Drip, drip, drip. Then in Exodus chapter 17, in Rehadim, as they complained, here we go, got water. We're in the desert place. Guess what? In desert places, there's no water. But I know a God who's the God of the heavens and the earth. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, and all that dwells therein, it belongs to him. The cattle upon a thousand hills. The Bible says, Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. God spoke to nothing, and nothing came, something came out of nothing, because God spoke it into existence. And here they are complaining again. We have have no water, Moses. But the people were thirsty, and there was no water, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children livestock and livestock to die, to die? Why did you do this to us, Moses? You know, you really were directing those indirect uh, comments towards God through, through the prophet who represented God. You still with me? Moses went up into the mountain of Sinai, and he was there a little long. It was 40 days and 40 nights without water. This was a total fast without water or food. And so the people down in the valley, they said, this dude done died. Nobody can live without food and water for 40 days. We don't know what happened to this guy, Moses. But here's what we want you to do, Aaron. This is what we can't just be out in the wilderness. We need somebody to follow. We need someone to worship. So Mo, so to, to, to fashion for us from the goal that God allow us to take from Egypt, when God leads you out of bondage, he doesn't send you broke. <laughs> he, he led them out with something. 
And so they took the something that God had given them, and they had Aaron fashion a golden calf. And then they said, this is the God who has led us out of Egypt. Drip, drip, drip. That's the sixth test. Then in chapter 32, well, actually, that's the seventh test of Mount Sinai when Aaron forms the, the calf. And, when, of course, when Moses comes down and he said, well, Aaron, what happened? Uh, my assistant pastor, what kind of happened? Well, they gave me the gold. They twisted my arm, and I threw the gold into the fire. And look what came out, a golden calf. And then in Taborah, where the people complained against the Lord. Now the people complained in, in Numbers chapter 13, verses, in chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. Now the people complained about the hardship in, in the hearing of the Lord. And when he heard them, his anger was aroused. Uh, the people of God, when it came to this uh, consistent, persistent habit of complaining, they're like the wife who had this difficult husband, and it's just nothing that she could do to please him. And she said, he said, well, I want two eggs. I want one fried and one scrambled. She said, okay, all right, honey, I love you. I'll do it. So she did exactly what he said. She scrambled one egg and fried the other, and then she put the plate in front of her husband to fry it and scramble. He said, you fried the wrong egg. Drip, drip, drip. And then again, in Numbers chapter 11, verses 4 through 5, in Kerath Habitat, the Bible says, Now the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense cravings. So the children of Israel also wept against, again and, and said, Who will give us meat? They already had the manna. Now they said that the menu's too limited. We're going to go to Burger King. But uh, we, remember, we remember the fish and, that we ate when we were in Egypt, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. Don't get hungry, y'all. But now our whole being is dried up. There's nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. Guess who provided the manna? It was God. Drip, drip, drip. And then... Finally, in Numbers, the 10th test is in Numbers chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, at Cadeth Barnea, right on the outskirts of the promised land. They could see the promise that God had made way back in Genesis chapter 12, that he would give his inheritance a land. Now, 400 years later, they're standing on the brink of their blessing. They could all but smell the land and touch the fruit. And here they are questioning God again. The Bible says... That in the desert of Paran, right out in, 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 at Kadesh and Barnea, uh, uh, Caleb and Joshua, listen to what it says. Uh, the people refused to receive a good report from Joshua and Caleb, but rather wished, wished themselves dead. Notice that every time the people challenged God, it always had to do. Here's the recurring, the recurring theme that gets God's attention in a way you don't want to get his attention. It was complaining. It was the tongue. It was, in some instances, ignoring the word of God and deciding that our words are more authoritative and more dependable than God. Whenever we disobey the word of God, that's what we're saying. 
And so when he, in each instance, it had to do with, the, with complaining and, 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 and speaking negatively and, and faithless words. How many of you know that you can be an unbelieving believer? You can be saved by grace, but walk like somebody who don't even know Christ. Now, the Hebrew word that is used for complain literally or, or grumble or murmur literally means to beat one's chest and to act outraged. To, to, to be uh, or disgusted. It's an act of displeasure or disappointment. When we complain in the negative sense of the word, it means that we are expressing dissatisfaction with something that we have determined that is wrong, but it's the will of God. Because if it wasn't, he would have changed it. And there's circumstances that we don't agree with, things that we don't want, crosses that we don't want to bear, that, that places that God has planted us, he hasn't given us permission to leave, and yet we find ourselves outraged, disgusted, uh, and, and totally uh, upset because in that instance that we are upset about, we didn't get what we think we should have gotten. Now, there are legitimate times to complain, when there's an injustice, when something unfair is occurring, when someone needs you to intervene, to advocate on their behalf, that's a legitimate time. But when you are, when you are simply just mouthing off or sitting somewhere in silence, you're not going to say nothing. You're just going to let your protest be seen by your, the anger that's on your face. Just look at my face. When you are not intending to correct that which you deem to be wrong, or that God has predetermined for this time in your life called his will, and God who could have prevented it is allowing it, you're complaining. And when you are a complainer, guess what that is? That's like oil that is dripping. And wherever you go, you are dripping on the lives of other people. Most of us have uh, checking accounts, a bank, bank account. Some of us may not. Amen. Some of us are a little more advanced, but and don't even use checks. And anything, but you have, you have accounts, and then for protection, you have overdraft. Anybody know what overdraft protection is? Okay. The accounts that we have with the Lord, it's not based on anything that you and I deposited. It's based on grace and mercy. It's not according to works that we've done because the Bible says in our flesh, in our human effort, we can't do anything to please God. So if you look at my account from my Adamic perspective, from my Adamic nature, from anything that I would have to offer because all of my righteousnesses are as filthy rags, the best that I could do, God says like a minstrel cloth, the best that I, oh God, the best that I could offer. I'm sorry, ladies. That's what it means, literally. The best that I could offer is unacceptable to God. But I find myself having what is called imputed righteousness. God has deposited into my bankrupt account the righteousness of Christ. Therefore, when he looks at me, the Bible says, therefore, being justified by faith, we now have peace with God. I have the righteousness of God in my account because of who Jesus is. And so because of who Jesus is, I'm seated in heavenly places. I am rich beyond measure. 
And so every single day, even though I'm rich beyond measure, the only thing that God is obligated to, to deposit to us or to give to us is daily blessings. He promises to meet our daily need. My God shall supply what? Your needs, all of them, your need. And so in my account is the righteousness of God, which is limitless in terms of its resources. But all that he gives to us, he gives us an allowance called new mercies and grace every day. Anybody know what I'm talking about? But when we complain, when we pound our chest in outrage and disgust because of the will of God, what we are doing is going into God's overdraft protection. What we are doing is trying to draw from tomorrow's blessings for today's daily need. And what God did ten times, nine times, he allowed them to withdraw from their overdraft account. He allowed them to draw more mercy, more grace when they should have been destroyed. He allowed them to be, when they should have been just dismissed, he kept allowing them to go into that overdraft account. And then finally God says, enough. Enough. Account closed. Account closed. And that's what happens when we keep dripping and pouring negativity and whatever comes to our mind when, we, when we're the craziest. We just got to let somebody know. No, you don't. No, you don't. That thing's about to seize. You're about to overdraw your overdraft protection. God's going to pull his hedge of protection from around you. You're going to get some bounce checks in the spiritual realm. Now, why do we complain? I'm telling you, it's epidemic. I've seen it. I might as well. They, 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 they're paying me for the wrong thing as a hospice chaplain. I do more counseling of my coworkers. It's just at a place, and I, I think it's because of the climate of, our, of what's going on. People are just unhappy. People are just un, on edge. And so let me, let me tell you why we complain. We, we sanctify it. We're just, we just trying to get our questions answered. No, you're not. You don't like the way something is, and so you are uh, in, in, in indirectly. Okay, let's go on. Now, that's nobody here. That's, that's that other church. So they complain, we complain in, 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 in chapter 11, verse 1, the Bible says they complain because of hardship, adversity. I know what you hear on TV, that, that it's always going to be good, and all you need is the faith, the size of a mustard seed, and your mountains are going to move. Yes, they will move, but then there's going to be another mountain, and then there's going to be another one. Every time God moves another one, you're going to, you know, he didn't, then the move, mountain will move, but you won't have to walk through it. You're going to have to go through your valley and your shadow of death. And you're going to have to decide, yeah, the mountain is moved, but there's still, uh, there's still invaders on every side, so I'm going to have to choose not to fear any evil. And so when adversity comes, when marriages get tight and money is, is not, money is funny and, and she ain't acting right and he ain't acting right, adversity has a way of causing us to complain. 
to pound our chest. I ain't taking it no more. Why I got to go through this? I didn't sign up for this. And if he would just get his act together, I know his whole family's been like this. I should have known. They told me that he was crazy and mama crazy and even the cat stupid. <laughs> if you really want to know where you are in the Lord, just like if you want to know what flavor a tea bag is, put it in some hot water. God is not unaware of the troubles that we are going through, but he will allow us to encounter the, the difficult to show us where we are and how much we need him. We complain because of our associations. The Bible says in verses 2 through 4 in uh, Numbers chapter 11, they were part of the mixed multitude. Who are you associating with? The Bible says that corrupt, that, that corrupt, that corrupt company corrupts morals. Thank you. So who you associate with? Two can't agree. On, how can two walk together unless they agree? So if you're hanging around, Buzzards, guess how low you're going to be flying? Guess what your conversation is going to be about? The world don't have no evil associates. I don't have anybody influencing my mind. I don't have anybody making me upset. What about CNN? What about Fox News? What about MSNBC? Now, what I'm saying is keep being informed, but that's not the first thing you ought to be listening to. And it sure is not the last thing you ought to be listening to before you go to bed. You need to be spending time in your word, time in prayer. You need to be hearing from God because what happens is what you associate with will determine how you think. And what you think will determine what you say. Isn't it interesting how we are more comfortable around people who are like us? But that's not going to grow you. You don't need somebody to be around you when you're acting like somebody that, that, that the devil just recreated and cloned a hundred times. They were, they were upset because of adversity, trouble, hardship, problem. All of us are going to have them. One of the biggest deficits in our training of children today, we don't teach them how to cope. We bail them out. And so when they have relationships outside of our family, when they get married, they can't handle conflict. And the first thing they want to do is they're coming back home. You ain't coming back home. You got a home. That's right. Here's another cause. We complain because we're angry. We think we have a right to put on our gorilla suit. We think we got a right to cuss people out. I had to tell them, I ain't know this, I ain't know that. I'm going to show them, then I'll pray with them later. But right now, as for me and my house, we will serve whatever my emotions tell me to do. I don't see that nowhere in the Bible. That's what, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. I'd like to say that I always am, am cool, calm, and collect. I'm not. I'm a nice guy, but <laughs> every now and again, the lion in me, <laughs> I have to catch myself because I feel justified. Notice what they were angry about. They were angry, about, they were angry with God about their past. They said, remember the fish that we ate? When I was unsaved, I always had a man. 
When I was unsaved, I could go and be with any woman I wanted to be without any conviction. When I was unsaved, I kept money in my pocket. Yeah, I sold drugs. Yes, I did a little this and a little that, but I wasn't broke. I'm saved now. I got nothing. But folk talking about they're praying for me. I don't need another Christian to say they're praying for me. I'm hungry. Feed me. So they were angry with God about their past. They were also angry with God about their presence. There's nothing but this manner. It's never going to get any better. He's never going to change. She won't change. My job gets, it makes me, I can't take it anymore. So they were angry with God about the past. They were angry with him about this manner, this routine, this mundaneness. Everything is the same, a treadmill, a, a turnstile. But they were also angry with God about the future. They said, who will give us meat? You got man, it ain't hungry. You may not be able to go to a restaurant every day. You may not be able to go to a five-star. But guess what? You got food in the re- I'm hungry. I don't see anything. Your refrigerator is bursting out with food. You don't see nothing to eat. And so they were, they were angry. They were outraged with God. And so when you're angry, it doesn't take much for you to just spill over, to start leaking on people. And, you, and they don't, well, where did all this come from? You've been home waiting. <laughs> Are you been thinking about this all night after you saw what was on TV? 11 people shot down and gunned down. Then somebody standing up and said, well, if they had guns at church, it wouldn't happen. So it's their fault because they didn't have guns. That's enough to make a good man angry. Here's another reason. Not only were they angry in adversity and, and, um, and, uh, Association, they were angry because of arrogance. They, the Bible says in the chapter 11, verse 20, you have rejected the Lord. How arrogant is that? You're in the center of the will of the Lord. You're right where you're supposed to be. He's provided your needs. He's constantly performed miracles. And every time you're withdrawn in your overdraft protection, he provided water. He provided food. Every, when he didn't have to, when you should have been chasing. And now you say, we reject the God. Even if you don't say it with your mouth, that's, how arrogant is that? How prideful. So one of the indications that when we are operating in the flesh is that we'll be arrogant about we know what is best for us, and we're not going to be happy until we get what we want, however we want it. And I want you to understand something. You ain't going to be fixed from your brokenness until you stop dripping. Until you stop saying things, yeah, you regret it, you go back and apologize, but the, the 11 people are dead. Now, don't get on TV and tell me how sorry you are. Don't get and tell me how sorry you are when you done, you done, you done destroyed and damaged. Apologize and repent, but you can't retrieve what you've done. Now, why is a complaining spirit so dangerous? Anybody want to know? I already said it, it, it does damage, but one of the things that makes a complaining and outraged, uh, 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 disgusted, and I ain't taking no more spirit, so dangerous, is that a complaining spirit reveals your carnality. A people who, and I'm saying that we all do it from occasion. I'm talking about this is your habit. You've been dripping a long time. It didn't start here at this church. It didn't start when you met her. <laughs> You've been dripping a long time. Notice what happens in, in, in chapter 13, verse uh, 30. It says, 
the, the, this is the report. Twelve spies were sent into the land. And what's interesting, when God chose the 12 spies to go into the promised land, and they were there for 40 days and 40 nights, he told them exactly what to do. They told them to look. He told them to bring back fruit. He told them to be of good courage. And he, and he said, just bring back the report. Just tell what you saw. He didn't say interpret it. He said, I've already given you the land. It's done. Past tense from God's perspective. It's already completed in the mind of God. Now, fast forward that to chapter uh, 13, verse 31. Ten of the 12 spies give their report. They say, there we saw giants. The descendants of Anak came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. Notice the emphasis on what they saw rather than what God said. Carnal people focus on what they can see rather than what God has said. They're controlled by their feelings rather than faith. What they saw made them afraid. When you're operating in fear, and fear is dictating what you will or won't do, you're, in, you're being carnal. You're not being spiritual. You're being controlled by your flesh. And it doesn't honor God. It does. I'm, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Their feelings caused them to, to, to rely on what they could do. Sometimes the most carnal people in the church are the leaders. He sent 12 leaders from the 12 tribes, and none of them had, 10 of the 12 had no faith. So just because somebody has a title doesn't mean they have faith. It doesn't mean that they won't operate in the flesh. But I hear the word of God saying, it's not by might nor by your power, but it's by my spirit. So if I said it's done, you just need to begin to walk in it as if it's already completed because what I will do is pull off my word. I will always accomplish that which I please. Complaining reveals carnality. Here's another reason why it's dangerous. It's contagious. In verses 1 through 4, the Bible says, it started with the 10 who gave the negative report, uh, then the people, and all night the Bible says they cried and they complained against Moses. So the ten said it, and now the entire nation is, we can't do it. It can't happen. We're going to die. We need new leadership. It's too bad. It's never going to get any better. And so when you complain, just go in the bank on Monday morning and say, man, they ought to have more than one teller. I can't believe that they only have one person working behind that desk. The next one, you know what? Every Monday I come in here, and the next person, you know what? I saw the same thing, and, and then the next thing, the whole line is saying, it's contagious. When you start leaking oil, because what happens is people who are complainers, they look for people to support their view. And they keep on leaking until they find a spot where somebody's willing to catch that oil. It's contagious. It's contagious. It's also contentious. It divides. You had a group, you had Caleb and Joshua saying, the Lord said we can take it, we can go in, so let's obey the word of God, and it's ours, we're going to walk by faith. And then the rest of the congregation in the ten, the ten spies said, we can't take it, and what we're going to do, we're going to take some lives, we're going to get some homicides, bring Moses and Aaron right now, and you guys too, we'll deal with you, we're going to kill you. And then just as they were preparing to stone Moses, Aaron, the pastor was getting ready to get stoned, his assistant crooked pastor who didn't have a heart, getting ready to get stoned, Aaron and Caleb simply believe the Lord. And the Bible says, and the Lord showed up. But so you got division. 
And so when you have a person in that, two people who are married, when the Bible says the house that is divided against each other, if you have a person in that marriage that has a complaining spirit that's never grateful, can't see God in any of them, anything, even though the Bible says be thankful in all things, but this is the will of God concerning you in Christ, not for all things, but in all things, because it's the will of God concerning you in Christ Jesus. Now you have a divided house. That's why when you talk about, I'm going to settle down, I want to get married, you better be talking about somebody who is revealing and manifesting the fruit of the Spirit. One of the first fruits of the Spirit is joy. Joy. You can be miserable all by yourself. You're sitting there listening to them talk about nobody knows the trouble I see. Oh, I've been up, I've been down. I've been puked, I've been scorned. Well, what about Jesus? Hasn't the Lord blessed you? Didn't he wake you up this morning? Didn't he give you a mind to serve him this morning? Isn't this the day that the Lord has made? Won't you you choose to be glad in it? It's contentious. It divides churches. It destroys workplaces. It breaks up friendships when you, when you have a complaining spirit. Nobody even wants to be around it. You ought to have the joy of the Lord. You ought to have a word. The Bible says share the gospel. The gospel, the word means good news. On a bad day, i got good news. On my worst day, i got good news. When I can't see my way out, I've got good news. The good news is not my circumstance, but his name is Jesus, who sits high and he looks low and he's available to meet my every need. Complaining is costly. The Bible says not one of you, none of you in this generation except for Caleb and Joshua, even Moses didn't enter into the promised land because of disobedience. And Aaron, the calf maker, sure didn't make it into the promised land. But the Lord said, all of you shall perish. Complaining can cost you your life. It can kill your marriage. Kill your relationship. All you see is what the child never does right. And you were like my other child or like your friend. In the... No, they're not like your, their friend. They're like the precious gift that God has given you, unique. Only one of a kind. Complaining can kill, but it also robs you of your destiny. They did not enter in. You've got potential. You've got doors that God wants to open, but at some point you can become disqualified, and the door that was open that you didn't seize the opportunity, it will shut, and you will die with regrets. You will die with regrets. All of the opportunities, all of the doors, all of I would have, should have, could have. I was, I could, I think I should, and you haven't done it. The promised land is right in front of you. But what complaining and excuse making, if I hadn't been born a woman, if, they, if I wasn't black, if I, if, I, if I wasn't born in Wilmington, if maybe if I, hadn't born, if I wasn't born in North Philadelphia, maybe if I had known my father, then no, 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 no excuses. No excuses. God is impartial. What he did for me, he'll do for you. Somebody say amen. amen. Now, how can you overcome? 
a spirit of complaining, the dripping that you have been allowing the enemy to use to spill on the lives of people who are being damaged because of negativity, because of lack of faith. Where is God in your conversation? Where is hope? Where is possibility? Where is thus saith the Lord? If you don't have that as a part of your conversation, I want you to understand you're not operating on the Lord's side. You're on the opposite side. Now watch this. How can you overcome it? Anybody want to know? Yeah. A couple of you want to know. Anybody want to know? Confess it for what it is. The Bible says that complaining angers the Lord, and it angers him because it's sin. It's sin. When you're pounding your chest and you're disgusted and you feel like you can say whatever comes to your mind, you're just going, you're going to shut down. I ain't even going to function today. I'm so upset. I can't get it. Why they don't get it? Guess what? You are in your flesh, and you are dangerous. You're about to seize. You don't know when the Lord's going to shut that door and you're not going to bounce out of that. God was not happy. God was angry. And the Bible says that he unleashed a plague, a plan. He, he released a fire on the outskirts of the camp. Here's another thing. Claim the promises of God in your situation. What is your situation? Do you know enough of this word to go and see? What does the Bible say about fear? What does the Bible say about worry? What does the Bible say about decision making? Are you trusting in the Lord with all your heart? Go to the word and say, Lord, what is the key? What, is it? what, is, what do I need to unlock this door that is in front of me right now? And then claim the promise. Cast the, well, here's how you claim it. You cast your cares on him because he really cares. Give it to God. Somebody said that it makes no sense to complain because 80% of the people you complain to don't care and 20% that you complain to think it's your fault anyway. <laughs> Claim the promises of God. Here's another thing that you should do. Cut it off when you hear it. When somebody comes to you and they got the woe is me spirit, Cut it off. Here's how you cut it off. Direct them to whoever they're complaining about. Conversation ended. It's over now. Good <laughs> people who will dump, will, will spill all over you, drip, drip, drip all over you, whatever's going on. And then as soon as you give them direction about how to correct it, they got to go. I told you about the time I was on the phone. I was doing some deep, intensive counseling, and I forgot that I, my car was on E when I started to go to work, and I'm just counseling. I'm out in front of Christiana Hospital in that little turn just before you turn in, and I'm just getting ready to pray with them and tell them how God is going to deliver them. They said, thank you, Pastor. It's about an hour, and then all of a sudden, my car just boom. And I said, well, um, sister, my, uh, sister or brother, whoever I was talking to, my car just quit, and they said, I'll talk to you later, Pastor. <laughs> I had to call my wife. <laughs> Come on and give me, brings me some gasoline. I done broke down in front of the hospital counseling. And the person I was counseling could care less that I ran out of gas. That wasn't anybody in the room. <laughs> Cherish what God has given you. Why should God bless you with more when you don't appreciate what you already have? 
We say, Lord, would you just help me? I'm getting ready to, to perform. Lord, I'm getting ready to preach. Lord, I'm getting ready to go to work, and I don't know what the boss is going to say, but I just need your head. I need your, and then the Lord blesses you. But we're like the nine lepers. There were 10 of them, but only one returned. And the one said, Lord, I thank you. I just came back to thank you because you didn't have to do it, but he did. And the Lord said, because you came back and thanked you, thanked me, even though there were 10 of you and only one of you returned, not only if you go, am I going to give you healing, but right now I'm bestowing upon you wholeness. There's a greater blessing when you have a thankful spirit, when you can cherish what God has already done. I may not have the biggest house, but I got a house. It may might be the car that I want, but I got a car. I may not have as much money as I'd like, but thank God I got food on my table, a roof over my head, clothes on my back. I've got children who love me. Cherish what God has given you. Finally, commit your, your situation to God in prayer. Commit it to God. Take that thing. Tell somebody else, look, I want you to covenant with me. I need you to fast and pray with me. My daughter, my son's about to make a terrible decision. I, I'm getting ready to get the results of a test, and I'm feeling a little unsure. And I, the last time I got the test, it, it said I had cancer. But I want to believe, God, that when the doctors look at the results again, it's going to be clear. And so I'm asking you. I'm not going to lose any sleep over this. It doesn't make any sense. See, see he that keepeth Israel, he neither slumbers nor sleeps. So if God is a wake all night. It sure don't make no sense for both of us to lose sleep. And so I need you to join with me in prayer. Commit whatever it is in your marriage, at work, in your body, in your pocket to the Lord in prayer. Amen. Amen. Stand with me. Some years ago, I was invited to preach at a church, and God really did a great thing. I know he did because they invited me back. I get a call that afternoon. It's an anonymous call. It's from a woman, and she said, you don't know me but I was at the church today. And she said, I'm just calling because I'm in a miserable marriage. Can I just be honest? I said, so you can be honest. I'm not going to judge you. She said, I, I hate my husband. She said, if he died today, I wouldn't, I don't think I would miss him. She said, I'm not a bad person. He's unloving, he's insensitive, he works all the time, he won't talk to me, he doesn't listen to me. Yeah, he brings the money in, and I don't, I don't, the bills are paid, but this man, he might as well be a stone. She said, could you show me in the Bible my grounds for divorce? I said, let me share a few passages with you, and I said, 
in all of the passages that I read, and here's some more for your own edification. Do any of these verses suggest that you have a biblical basis for divorce? She got quiet. I said, you do not have a biblical grounds to divorce, to divorce your husband. And the phone went, click. <laughs> okay. Three months later, I get a call. This time, it's the same woman, but she tells me who she is. And she's in tears. She says, my husband has a terminal illness. And it was, it was such an unusual, rare disease, it actually turns your body into stone. And she said, he has had this condition for years, never complained, went to work every day. In fact, he worked doubles and triples sometimes, and I didn't understand why was this man working so hard. He knew that he only had a little bit of time, and he wanted to make sure. And then she said, I'm sorry, I don't want my husband to die. I don't want a divorce. I want him to live. Would you pray with me so my husband can live, that God would heal him? I don't, please, Lord, don't hold me guilty for wishing my husband dead. And I asked, I said, can I come over and meet your husband and you together? She agreed. I led her husband to the Lord. And then they agreed to let me come in because I didn't have anything better to do. I said, I want to disciple you and your husband in how to grow in Christ. For eight weeks, I went to that house. And that man just fell in love with the Bible and fell in love with, and before I knew, the wife said, can we renew our vows? And they agreed and I renewed their vows with them. And he went into the hospital for routine checkup and never came home again. But I want you to know that that woman, for the time that that man got saved until the Lord called him home, they had an amazing marriage. Amen. Whose report will you believe? When she began to see this man from the word of God, and when she began to understand what marriage is all about, and it's not about complaining. It's not about getting your way. It's about serving one another and complimenting one another, building one another up in the faith. She was able to get out of that man what she hadn't gotten out of him in 32 years. That's the way God works. Somebody say, stop dripping. Stop dripping. Amen.